Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from California, and now I'm living in beautiful Wuhan, China. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Sure, I am from the Northeast part of China, proudly repping Dongbei, and I am speaking to you today from Beijing, China. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. We're not supposed to banter, but I have some banter. There are three <laughs> primary provinces of Dongbei, right? Yes. When we say Dongbei, it's three provinces mostly, but some Inner Mongolian people also kind of identify as Dongbei people. Oh, I see. So four provinces. Well, they probably, well, let's say three because we say Dongsan so. Well, I'm going to come back around to this because I want to introduce our topic. Today, we're going to be talking and I want to give people hope. Mm. And a lot of people, I think, including myself, get really gloomy about the future. Same. And I read this article <laughs> and it blew my mind and it gave me like hope, you know, maybe, wow, there might be, a, a, you know, people <laughs> in a hundred years. So this is from <laughs> sixtone.com and uh, the Article's title is A Yunnan Researcher's Plan for Plastic Waste, Feed It to the Fungi. Now, some of you may know that there are some kinds of fungi, mushrooms essentially, mm. that we use for tackling oil spills. Yes. And we have other kinds that we use for, or that scientists are working on developing that can eat different kinds of plastics. What this article basically shows is that new kinds of fungi that have been discovered in Yunnan can eat every kind of plastic that exists and another very similar material that to plastic as well, latex. So we essentially now, scientists anyways, have discovered these fungi in Yunnan, which is a province of China, by the way, in the south, mm -hmm. can eat our trash. So the implication of this is in the future, instead of sending your trash to, I don't know, a dump or an incinerator, <laughs> then they will be able to send it to a facility of whatever nature and name it will be called in the future. And mm -hmm. this will have have a, you know, like water goes through a series of filters as it's being cleaned, different yeah. kinds of things to get out kind, different kinds of impurity, essentially that your trash will be sorted so that you have your recyclables, you know, and steel and all kinds of different kinds of metals will come out of it and glass and stuff that'll be put aside for recycling. And then all of the non biomatter like plastics and stuff, because obviously your biomatter can be going to go to make fertilizer and stuff, your plastic material can go then and be eaten by a series of filters of bacteria or fungi, sorry, not bacteria, different thing, mm. different fungi, which will then turn it back into biomatter that can then be used as fertilizer or I, I don't know what. <laughs> so this is incre an incredible dream, an incredible hope that, you know, in the future, these scientists will be able to roll out this technology and we'll be able to, min the minimum will be stop adding garbage to the earth and the water. Question, Jason. Yeah. What do you call mushrooms that love to party? Happy mushrooms? Fun guy. <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna end my yeah, he's career. Very funny. <laughs> So, you know, something people like, like me who worry a lot, and I guess this is something a lot of people worry about now. The environment is a huge thing globally now. This is like hope, you know, maybe we could even, as we're taking the, because there are people who are trying to take the trash out of the ocean because there are these different islands of trash that have formed all in all of the major oceans. And we could scoop that stuff up 
and there will be ways to process it. We let the fungi take care of all the stuff that's not going to, that's going to, would take. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like the fungi take over the party. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to have a party in the trash and we're going to be able to turn that back into something, you know, that's biomass that we can grow plants out of again. I mean, if you didn't know what fungi, how fungi grow or how they kind of work, in lack of a better term, it might sound. Where they call their friends before they go out. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to run off for the whole episode. So bear bear with us. Don't (laughs) abandon us. Um, But I guess if you didn't know, let's say mushrooms, how mushrooms work. Mm. It sounds better now, huh? Yeah. Um, (laughs) If you didn't know how mushrooms work, it sounds like when I saw this when we were prepping for this episode and so I was like, oh my God, mushrooms could eat up uh, plastics and I mean that's amazing and I'll talk about my concern my like huge concern and like, phobia of plastics but I looked up you know how mushrooms because we consume them every day but did you know that they've survived like 400 million years on earth like what before like, us or something I mean we've we've only existed for such a short time but I think light li- my understanding uh, okay is life started like two billion years ago wow like just you know as single celled organisms and mm. I know mushrooms are a different kingdom or something I know they're not as closely related to us as trees so like trees are like hey what's up you know cousin and fungi are like who are you yeah because <laughs> fungi they uh, like scientists have found uh, fungal fossils that could be from 800 million years ago wow. seeing that were so they've been and I, and I was like looking up and I was like oh wow I didn't know I didn't know it make it make it gave me mixed feelings like mushrooms they work they basically consume dead bodies or dead plants mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's what they that's what they that what grow on trees grow out of soil and soil is broken down down by a combination, I thought. I don't know. I'm, I actually don't know. Of fungi, yeah. fungus, fungus, and uh, <laughs> bacteria of various kinds. I thought all the biology teachers. In, in America right now who are listening to this show are cringing so hard. Well, if you're cringing, <laughs> leave us a comment and give us the right, right information, you yeah, know, because our, our information comes from our own research and it's not scientific research. So, <laughs> and there's a whole lot of information out on the internet that needs to be checked. I do have some information. Ooh. So this is, this is straight off of a Statistica or sorry, Statista. And it, the largest dump site in the world is in the United States. It is in Las Vegas and it is called a Apex Regional. Oh my God. Las Vegas, United States. It is a 2,200 acre site full of trash. Produces so much methane that they actually put taps inside the dump site and draw methane out. And that methane is used in homes in Las Vegas for cooking. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. the, The dump site produces its own fuel source for Las Vegas citizens. That's how much waste is there. No wonder it's like a city where people visit for a couple of days and they leave. <laughs> I think it's not in the city. It's outside. I don't want to give Las Vegas a bad. Oh, wait. Um, so there's also a dump site in uh, Mexico City, 927 acres, and th- they get smaller after that. But like there are also in Europe and Asia too, South Asia, there are these huge, massive facilities for containing all the stuff that we're unable to recycle. That sounds bad, but I also want to give some hope. So I have a from this is from comparecamp.com mm. uh, in the United States statistics about 
recycling. So uh, steel from cars, close to 100% is recycled. So you know, that's nice. And then 90% of steel from appliances and 92% of cardboard is recycled and 81% of rubber tires and 69% of paper and 67% of aluminum from cars. And then what you end up with is at the bottom plastic bottles, they're only 29% recycled because there's something called monoplastic. That means the plastic is all one kind of plastic. Mm. The problem is a lot of companies don't use monoplastics. They use plastics that are mixed blend. Yeah. So your, your, your bottle or whatever can't actually be recycled because different blends of plastics need to be processed differently. So if a corporation is making its product out of a different blends of plastic because they want the desired effect of whatever glossy, shiny shape or whatever they're making, yeah. that actually has a very serious and adverse effect on, on the environment. Now, so we're talking about today is <laughs> fungus. <laughs> and this fungus can actually help resolve this problem. Scientists find a way that for the future generation, for future generations, hopefully so sooner is better. And I think, you know, because this is such a priority, maybe the right people with the right money or the government or, you know, intergovernmental agencies or non-governmental agencies, whoever has the money can help push these pro kind of projects forward. And then we can eliminate one of the most serious contributors to global pollution. Mm. Uh, did you read art recently that they're now finding plastic in your blood and in your body and your bones and things? Yeah, like you could get that because the seafood that you consume digest like they take in you know molecules of plastics that go into mm, mm. the ocean and so once you do that it's in your body as well like i legit was scared of like i try to <laughs> you know i try to stop eating seafood for a little bit because i was like i don't want that i'd much rather getting food that's like if it's if it's like a, I don't know what it's called, like a chicken and cow that are raised in a farm versus, you know, like free chicken or, or you know, whatever. <laughs> like, I don't even care that much about whether those are like actual wild seafood. I was like, I just want to know that it comes from a place where they're not eating plastic for food. <laughs> 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 I mean, that is reasonable and it gets worse than that because now scientists are saying that plastic is being found at every site in the food chain. So you have fish coming into human bodies and then bile being excreted and excess fish going into fertilizer, fertilizer going into farming and animals that are raised on the, raised on the land eating fertilizer. And what you end up with is plastic everywhere in every food. Yeah. So even your, yeah, so even in your, in vegetables and in like, you know, your hamburger, you're going to unfortunately be finding at least trace amounts of plastic. So <clears throat> this is something I, you know, that is important that we begin to deal with the plastic problem. I mean, well, I guess people yeah. try to recycle. I think, you know, most big advanced economies, the United States included, China, uh, European countries, Canada, and a lot of advanced economies where they have the technology and the, the ability to process it, they do try to recycle. The problem is the systems and the mechanisms by which they do that aren't very efficient. Mm. And if the United States, one of, I'm sorry, I guess it's still the wealthiest country, not per, ca per capita, but as a country, it's still the wealthiest country, mm -hmm. not including 
purchasing power parity, but <laughs> total amount of cash. A lot of data. <laughs> they can only recycle about, they cannot recycle 70% of their plastics mm. and they can only recycle 29%. Then what hope is there for like, you know, an undeveloped yep. country? Exactly. That means that there's a lot worse problem. And so plastic is, is contributing way more than we could, we can deal with. And another problem, <laughs> I know I'm talking really fast and covering a lot, yeah. is that trash is being exported. Some kinds of trash like are really severely like toxic. Mm -hmm. And so this is a new term that I learned, toxic colonialism. Interesting. So this is from theworldcounts.com and it talks about hazardous chemical waste that is being shipped to other countries and it's essentially destroying those countries because maybe a place like, you know, France or the United States has the technological capability with a lot of investment to take care of really yep. hazardous toxic waste, but that's not what they're doing because that's not what, you know, supports a bottom line for a company. So what they're doing is they're just exporting this stuff to other people, to poor people who don't have the technolo technological capacity to deal with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And in some in some cases, it's being done really dishonestly. So I understand Nigeria thought they were getting fertilizer and it turned out to be like but arsenic, lead, cadmium, chromium, oh God. flame retardants, vinyl chloride, all these really terrible things. So now they're like, oh, we were looking to help our farms and now they've completely made the environment in some places really, 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 really toxic. Yeah. And so like the wealthiest people in the world are essentially exporting the worst parts of their economy to some of the poorest places in the world. I guess it's really like when something is done, it's hard to like the Nigeria story you just mentioned. It's mm. pretty scary if we think about it from our perspective, which is, you know, it's something that it's done and then it brings irreversible consequence mm, mm, you know like if mm. you forever ruin a farmland and if decisions like that are made in multiple places in the world like don't you see i see i right now like i have this world map in my in my head and i'm like kind of seeing these like red dots or red areas of soils that are being destroyed mm, and mm, it's like mm. eating up the map and who knows when it's gonna uh, sorry that's that's a little too too you know too sad and too uh pessimistic but it's environmental decisions is always something that it's, it's something that people don't really from i feel like from i'm glad to see a lot of initiatives a lot of uh not just like ngos but a lot of international organizations mm -hmm. trying to tackle this problem but there's something you said i really want to just call out and you said like like the super wealthy people that are kind of just making decisions on the fly for the money and i don't remember if i talked about this but mm -hmm. i think years ago when we saw i'm sure you saw it i think everybody on earth who has access to the internet internet saw that video is that is is the video where they pulled a plastic straw yeah. out of nostril of the little turtle mm -hmm. i know there are other documentaries about environmental uh protection and you know global warming and all of these environmental problems but that was that was the video that got me that was the only video that made me go oh my god i don't want to use straws anymore <laughs> you know like i don't that poor little thing was suffering so much mm -hmm. and then i went through a phase as a person you know just this is like a personal journey i went through a phase where i was like i want to do this and i want to tell people around me to not use plastics not use straws you know try to recycle and all of that mm -hmm. and then at some point I was like, this is, you know, it only makes me feel good, but I don't know how much change that is really mm. bringing forward. And you, you could argue like, oh, that's how every grassroots movement 
comes to comes into being mm -hmm. like oh we could get 10 people to do this if every one of us could get 10 people to do this then we have however many people but that's mm -hmm. a very idealistic almost unrealistic way of doing the calculation of how mm -hmm. big a movement mm -hmm. could get at the end of the day like i think for me this is something that china did that i was really proud of i think and this is super early on i think it was back in something before 2012 when at least beijing stopped just giving plastic bags for free yeah you have to pay for a plastic that's it's like 10 cents you know for for a big bag but you do have to pay and i think that's already limiting the number of plastic bags a lot and then now that if you go to 7-eleven or you go to um, these grocery stores the plastic bags you get are uh, biodegradable and again yeah, you have to pay yeah. increasingly yeah, yeah so increasingly. like the real changes like the real impactful changes and like we said we don't know like the environmental problems are happening so much faster we need changes that could happen you know fast and on a large scale mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm, kind of changes mm -hmm. i feel like it could only come from or it's more efficient it's more um effective when it comes from big corporates at least um and then big international organizations with you know joint forces of of government policies yeah. otherwise it's the example that you pointed out in beijing is essentially the government of china decided hey this is bad let's stop that and they stopped it because they they can say so yeah but like i don't i, I agree with that to some extent but i also completely agree with your point about corporations because i also think at the same time it's still incumbent upon as many people as possible to because i watched this youtube video of a, mm. of a man i'm not going to say his name and point out his channel and shame him but he was essentially saying oh let's <laughs> Let's not recycle. It's it. We can do nothing about it. It's corporations responsibility. Oh, and I was like, yeah, he's right. You know, we need to hold our corporations accountable. We need to say corporations stop. But him saying that us individually can't do anything doesn't help the problem. Not at all. So we need to, yes, at the same time, bring your own bag to the grocery store and then hold count of corporations accountable and say, hey, we don't want to buy your overpackaged product that, you know, I, my child wanted this plastic Batman, which is bad. But now you've covered that in as much plastic as in the Batman. <laughs> so like, why can't I just have the limited amount of Batman plastic that I wanted? to destroy the environment with why do you have to add all this extra extra stuff to that like so you know i, I don't think it's realistic to expect mom and dad not to buy their child legos uh look yeah up, look up. <laughs> but i do think it's irresponsible that they should be like wrapped in another whatever toy it is it should be wrapped in plastic and then you should carry that home in a plastic bag or whatever like whoa slow down here you know maybe the you can use those legos for a few generations and stuff and then they can be be fed to fungus <laughs> <laughs> but you know the packaging and the plastic bags and all and you know like not buying bottled water i know a lot of people are like yeah oh i'm so cool i'm gonna buy bottled water well, why are you buying bottled water just you know get a water filter and like or or whatever and just using your own thermos all the time you know in, in china we call them shuibei <laughs> they're ubiquitous with living yeah like almost everyone you know has their shuibei yeah. and they they carry their this little personal thermos around with them and i use mine in the morning i make coffee i put it into the my shuibei i bring it to work yeah when i'm finished drinking the coffee i clean it out a little and i add filtered water from a filter machine uh, that filters water at, at my work and then i have water all day and i get home and i use my own water filter in my kitchen to add mm -hmm. water to i basically use this thermos all the time and I, I think that makes me somewhat chinese i've gotten you know 
Very, very. That is very Chinese. I got one uh, plus one. You know, my video game character just became slightly more Chinese. But, you know, I think this is what we should be doing everywhere. Everyone should have their own steel, you know, thermos that can be recycled. We, we saw how much steel is recycled. Almost all of it, right? Get a nice steel thermos yeah. and just use that for as many years as you can before it goes back into the recycling or whatever. Maybe you could use it your entire life. Hopefully me and my Shwebe will never be parted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next next book title, me and my Shwebe. <laughs> Yeah, but I do agree with you. Corporations, they are making all this stuff. It's not governments making it. It's not us making it. It is corporations making all of this waste. They are the ones that should be responsible for it. Yeah, I don't I don't want to blame, you know, uh, uh, Sorry, uh, I don't want to I don't want to blame corporates for making these products. And it's it's the kind of an unavoidable change of the time and the increasingly faster Mm. lifestyle that we're living. And then they're catering to that. And then once they cater to that, we need more. It's kind of like a vicious cycle that we can't get out of. So for us to get out of it, someone has to do the uncomfortable thing. It's either the customer or the the corporate. And then the customer, Mm. there is no education, you know. Um, of the uh, the process like if I want to do it I have to seek out what to do myself because it's not just affecting this cup I'm using it's affecting how I get water how I get the other bottle and then when I move to a different place when I go somewhere else what do I do all of that is a lot of learning cost on the customer but if you do it on a company level for example when uh, Starbucks got rid of their yeah. plastic cap that saved oh that saved so much like potential uh wastes mm-hmm. or, or or plastic pollution and we as customers were like oh okay you know it's it's <laughs> it's a it's a plastic it's not a plastic cap anymore you just you feel now you go to Starbucks and they don't have straws anymore for the cold drinks it's just you drink from the the tap that you drink from the top where it is a little yeah you know a little mm. little gap mm. and other companies are doing similar things as well and then when you do that the change that corporates could bring are so crazy but like mm. you said I'm not saying that as a person, we're like, oh, we don't wish, let's not do anything that's, you know, friendly to the environment. And I I learned this whole thing about uh, recycling, about like how Japanese people recycle their trash, which is a little, it's Mm -hmm. honestly, for me, it's like, I I don't think I have that much time and patience (laughs) to to really do it, but they have to do it in Japan Mm. because their land is super limited. They don't have the luxury to really bury their waste to bury their trash or dump their trash or nor do they have i guess the money maybe to send their trash to other countries to to (laughs) maybe which maybe they already do but still they just have such limited land resources and they have to do the recycle like the responsibilities have to fall on the residents and i know that they uh the paper box the paper milk uh box like you have to they have to cut it the cut mm. the corners, open it, clean it because they could recycle the aluminum that's inside or whatever that foil thing that's inside. Wow. Um, and then the paper thing. And that is like 
one category of trash that you throw it into mm, so mm, i mm. think i don't know i like personally when you when you do things like that i know people who do like zero waste challenge and it's so hard it's so hard mm, like mm, for mm. us to not produce any trash sometimes when we order like why am i and i was like oh god i feel i feel bad <laughs> i feel i do feel bad yeah it's covered and you got a plastic container and then plastic you say don't send a plastic fork and they do send a plastic fork that's wrapped in plastic and it's like i told you not to send this to me you know i know and that's why i'm like sometimes i'll like i'll order from those places that you know uh, pack the food in paper bags at least i feel a little less guilty mm-hmm. about it I-, I wish that that was more just the norm i you know again this is something that corporations and governments can do easily like thing that we're talking about is not the only technology that's coming out you mentioned earlier that there are now bags that are more biodegradable and this is probably not even the only kind of biodegradable bag that is being you know put onto the market they're probably different kinds now mm. so what whereas you know f- mushrooms are one way to deal with pollution also using different kinds of technology where you create biodegradable materials and package things in those can be part of a solution but you know yeah. the reason i open with this article the reason i open with this technology is even if we just stop you know, in the next five years, stop, shut down the plastic production somehow using all of these breakout technologies and they catch on and become affordable for everyone and all the all the companies. There's still the issue of all the plastic we've already made. So mm. the reason I think it's really interesting that Yunnan has this uh, this biome that allows us for scientists to go and explore and find mm-hmm. funguses, fungi that uh will break down plastics we still need to do something with the stuff we already put out there that is in the ocean that's in the land that's you know everywhere and ubiquitous with human capitalism of course but i also feel like this is also whenever i read something like this or hear stories or watch like a documentary about these amazing species that we don't really give credits to Mm -hmm. like for example like if we didn't have to prep for this episode i would never know or i would never really think mushrooms have been on earth for so long i'm pretty sure my um this would be <laughs> biology teacher and geography teacher maybe have already said in high school but i don't remember any of it i'm sorry um <laughs> so this is new knowledge to me like they i was like reading up on things and they were like oh so you know when animal dies and stuff these magical mushrooms they break down all of the components in terms of you know nutrition or proteins whatever like that's why you know like a lot of vegetarian or or vegan people eat mushrooms as a replacement for protein because they do have they do have protein right and mushrooms do have protein because they break down (laughs) they they break down the um like for example if and if if an animal dies um their whatever element in their body needs to be broken down and regrouped to be used as the life cycle of the mm-hmm. soil and mushrooms break down their body mushroom takes breaks down the protein and take the protein and breaks down the nitrogen and make it nitrate so that trees the roots of the mm-hmm. you know the roots could take the nitrate and make the trees grow if the if if mushrooms didn't do that then it's just dead body rotting in the soil so i was like these things and if you think about it they've been on earth for so long and they actually break down not just dead bodies like they make the essential uh life cycle of soil which means they also break like 
different like different type of fun types of fungi break down mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rocks and stuff wow. and then if you think about where wow. yeah if you think about what plastic mm -hmm, comes mm -hmm. from it comes from the fossils like it comes from you know crude oil right a lot of it comes from crude oil yeah so essentially rocks and, and <laughs> rocks and soil like from many 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 years ago so i was like okay wow like just reading about this putting two and two together i just i love when discoveries or information like this makes me feel very small very humble in a in the best way possible like i feel like a lot of times we become too human beings become a little a little too a little too cocky about who we are in the entire world in the entire galaxy where like if you look at this like this little this little fungi that you think you you could eat every day <laughs> like it does so much more for the environment than we do and it's been here forever <laughs> it's not just in hot pot <laughs> I wanted to yeah. talk about another angle, actually, a little bit. So I want to talk about Yunnan. Part of what I impresses me about this is China had changed its entire approach to the environment over the last 20 years. Mm. And there are a lot more national, nationally protected forests, nationally protected mountains, and there, there are provincial protected areas. And there are all these overlapping protected biomes and biospheres in China now, like a, in a lot of other countries, like in the United States, very similar to that, where like you can't just go in there and like, OK, I want to chop this down no you can't yeah. nope this is uh, protected and so yunnan is like i have never been but i understand it is beautiful mm. and that there are forests and all over the place and what's pointed out in the article that we, we both read for this is that yunnan has more different kinds of fungi mm -hmm. than anywhere else in the world and so one of the reasons that we're able to find and this is quote from the scientist uh dr peter mortimer uh, that can break down both latex and plastic and which he says is a first he says this is definitely a first that's a quote is because yunnan's environment was protected so in order for us to find these new uh for to us new you know technologies based on life we needed to first protect life so that we could could go find them mm. and i think that you know that is really interesting that saving the environment is saving us and saving the environment it's really kind of interesting to me definitely well have you have you been to yunnan jason not <sighs> for all these time all this time that you've spent in china okay yunnan is how do i even begin it is a dream for a lot of people for so many reasons because like the article said it is a very unique existence. It has both the nature and the culture. So please tell me about the beauty of Yunnan. Yunnan is something that you've seen in every poems and you've heard it in songs and you've heard it in folklores and, you know, like just weird, fantastic stories that people like to tell. Mm. And it is a place like that because it has, you know, this, these giant lakes that are called an ocean. And then there is the Yulong Mountain and it's closer to, you know, closer to Tibet, it's closer to uh, the south, you know, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's like a land of mystery for a lot of people, which is why, you know, when you find something when you find a, a type of fungus like that that could basically you know theoretically if there's enough of them it could solve 
environmental problems for us once and for mm, all mm. you you're like oh well if if there's anywhere in world in the world that you could find it it will be in yunnan and you know that yunnan has the most and like the most famous place where people want to go explore and it's called uh shangri-la really oh know? wow okay so i was thinking what poem what are you talking about yeah but yeah <laughs> i know everyone knows about shangri-la yeah so, so that's that's yunnan that is yunnan. i can live forever if i go there right because that's the movie my dad made me watch <laughs> when i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, Yunnan is the the landscape really is like very uh, abundant. It's a various of landscapes that it has, and Yunnan also has the. I am ninety nine percent sure I'm right about this. Yunnan has the largest number of ethnic minority groups mm, mm. in China. So out of the, yeah, I I don't recall the exact number, but out of the fifty five ethnic minority groups in China, Yunnan has I don't know like a lot of them <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And so, just it's just like such a land of of fantasy and and mystery. And so, a lot of people, like in, I think in late nineties and early two thousands, a lot of young people, they're like the first generation of young people that are fed up with the the you know the urbanization mm, 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 process, mm. and they're like, we don't like how. But it's basically they don't like how things like pl- plastics have come to control mm. everybody's life, and there was a group of people who are like, we're gonna go find our poet, our poetry in the faraway land, and they went to Yunnan from like different parts of China, and they started to reside in um, two cities like Dali and Lijiang, which mm. are two very very small cities, and they have these what we, what we call what we call the the ancient towns that are all over China. You can I've find them. I've seen pictures of Dali. It looks so amazing. It looks like traveling backwards in time in China. Exactly, because it's this whole like. All you know, like the look of all the Taoist and Buddhist temples you see in Beijing and stuff, but the entire city looks like that. Exactly, and then it's it's not just that; it's like people's houses are like that too. And you walk、mm. around and you walk in it; it's like, oh my god! And then your hotel is going to be in one of those houses too. And、mm. the thing is, you know, like Beijing has, and I'm sure Wuhan does too, which is Wuhan. I've never been to. I will make it there <laughs>、uh, at some point. But I'm sure it has these like ancient buildings or ancient <laughs> architecture that the government is. Keeping、um, and protecting, but they are surrounded by modern buildings,、mm-hmm, cars,、mm-hmm. people dressed in, you know, and people are like having this really fast life. But these architecture is more—they're more like a timestamp, you know.、Mm. And they want to stay, but it's this contrast is making it look for me—it's—it's kind of a little bit sad. But when you go to Dali, it's like the architecture matches the style of life. People are just very,、mm. people are super chill. They make wine out of flowers. They make,、uh, you know, they hand make、mm. whatever pastry.、Um, they call they, they call it the flower pastry because inside the the filling is made of like flowers.、Mm. And so it's just a very relaxing lifestyle. And when you go there for a vacation, it kind of makes you really think about what you're doing. And both that. And Lijiang, and then when you like question the way we live and our lifestyle, yeah, like it makes you reflect on on what you're doing. It、mm. really does. And then you see, I mean, of course, in recent years, it's getting more and more commercialized. But you can still find places that are very original to what it has been for many many years. Like the, it doesn't mean that they don't have the nest, you know, the the life necessities. They still do. They have the same thing. They have the same phones, if not better phones, you know. Like we use, <laughs> but it's just a it's just the whole vibe of the unit of the province. Even when we were,、uh, I went there with my parents when I first came back to China because it's been I've been dying to go to Yunnan 
like for years and I have never I love looking at photos of giant mountains but I have say so you haven't been there too I did I did I went to there in oh, 2018 <laughs> but before that I I did I, mm-hmm. I always wanted it I'd always mm-hmm. wanted to go there and so like when I came back from the states I was like I'm gonna make this the first travel destination mm-hmm. you know with my parents and we booked the tickets to Kunming which is a capital city mm-hmm. of Yunnan and that's like the more the more modern city would because it has to perform all of the municipal functions so it has more you know infrastructure and it's more like a modern city it's bigger and stuff but even there like the types of flowers that you see it's you know how beijing tries the beijing like plants different flowers together to make it you know really green really colorful Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's like you could (laughs) you could tell it's an effort you know like we we found these flowers i'm gonna put it there which is which is good but when you go to yunnan when you go to kunming the the plants the types of the types of flowers you see there it's just like oh wow like they belong together you know they belong here mm. and they're colorful mm. just it just as and then you start go to you start going to these like uh Kunming, uh Dali, Lijiang, and then these other can't, can't recall the names off of the top of my head and you just like you said it's quite elevated right the, the yes. most of the province is very elevated it's like halfway up on the way sort of towards the 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 mountain range there that divides South Asia and East yeah, Asia. Yeah, we were going to go on the Yulong uh, Yulong Mountain, and we went to because that's in Lijiang, and so we traveled from Dali to Lijiang. Right, mm. Dali and Lijiang are very close by train, and and we talked about the you know the I don't know if you remember when we talked about the high speed trains in China. We talk about the the high speed train that goes from Dali to Lijiang, mm-hmm. which offers. Um, like really luxurious experience you could have um you could have like karaoke whatever for the two hours you're traveling there (laughs) we went there and we were because it was my parents and and my mom uh, sorry my 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 dad and my mom my parents and my mom odd enough my dad and my mom and they're healthy they're very healthy you know Hmm. and you hear about this whole uh like reaction people have when they when they go to elevated places and you're like you know, it won't happen unless you're going, you're trying to climb the Himalayas. Like breathing? Not just that, actually. A lot of people's reactions not doesn't start from difficulties with breathing. Mm. So my mom was super perfectly fine when we were in Dali. Like she was having the time of her life. Mm. Like I've never seen my mom jumping like that. I was mm. taking photos and she was like jumping with both her legs, like, yay, flying in the air. Um, then she was fine. When we left Dali, towards the end of the train ride, mm. she started just suddenly feeling unwell. Mm. And she was like, she, she developed a fever like super fast. Wow. This is before, way before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she developed, she developed a fever mm. way too, super fast. And then we get to um, the hotel. My mom was like having just uh, my mom was having like fever she was throwing up and she couldn't get up and it was just i was like i was just like oh my god what is happening and then i think we asked some people or whatever and then i was we were like ah i think she's reacting to yeah you know i had a friend i didn't believe him at the time but i read a lot after uh, i have a friend his he lives in uh, beijing his name is wade and i said wow you know i really want to go to tibet and he's like are you sure you know you know you're a little little chunky and i went, what are you talking about i can't go to tibet <laughs> oh my God. he said no you won't be able to breathe you're gonna get like headaches and pass out and stuff like it's so elevated you know like i think lijiang is a lot higher elevation so this is a similar issue like you have to be 
really healthy or have grown up in an environment like that to be able to breathe enough oxygen to keep your body, you know, and stasis. Yeah. And, and then like, actually the whole, um, I, I think it's called altitude sickness is mm. very subjective to the person. It's not, there's not like, you know, that's why there's not a, uh, a chart that says like, if you could meet all of these items on this chart, you could go up to a higher altitude and you'll be okay. A lot of healthy people start, you know, uh, trying to, that's why people can't, that's why people try to conquer him the Himalayas, the, the, you know, Mount Everest, because mm. you, you really don't know how your body's going to react. The same, like, same as my mom. Like I, I thought like between my mom and my dad, my mom would be a person that is okay. And my dad would probably be the person who has a little bit of a hard time. But when we got to Li Jiang, he was fine. Mm. My mom on the other end, like I said, it was just basically, we, I, we actually had to ended up, um, we ended up making our trip shorter because we couldn't, my mom couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you, if you look at it, the place we were at, like the ancient, the little ancient town of Dali and the ancient town of Lijiang, which we were the, you know, starting place and the destination, they only have a 300 meter altitude. It's not like all of a sudden it went up super high, but it's like your body is just like a past, I guess, my mom's limit that we've never, we've never tested before. Mm. And then we're like, all right, let, let's take you to, to Dali. Let's take you back to Kunming and then we'll go, we'll go back to Beijing sooner. And as soon as she got back to Dali, she was, okay. she was perfectly fine. <laughs> wow. That's good to know for future reference that if I have a bad reaction, just get back on the train and come back. But, you know, well, I took physical anthropology, which is like the study of the human, you know, of homo sapiens, essentially, in university. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we learned was that this is not a, de- a genetic thing. Yeah. But if you take someone as a baby and you raise them in a very high altitude versus raising them at a low altitude, their chest cavity is bigger. So like if you raise at a high altitude, your chest cavity, you as you grow up is a more of like a barrel shape is larger. And your your lung capacity is higher, Mm -hmm. because your body adjusts itself to get more oxygen as you're maturing. So you know, people who may have come from low level areas, like, you know, the plains or like Mm -hmm. valleys and things, and they grew up there, their whole life if you try to bring them much higher they're going to have a much harder time getting all the oxygen that they need yeah. so that's really i thought that was really fascinating and that's why i think some athletes uh some athletes this is not you know universal i think some athletes train in uh cities that have a slightly higher altitude so that when they mm, <laughs> when they mm, compete mm. their 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 hearts and lungs could perform better mm, that's interesting yeah and that makes a lot of sense
But I mean, back to like where we started with this, it is really fascinating that Yunnan has protected its environment to such an extent that, you know, science, these scientists are, I guess they're still looking for other types because I guess the more samples they get of different kinds of fungus, that is better chance that scientists have of developing the kind of mass technology it'll take to begin processing and depleting our world of all of the plastic that we have added to it. And, you know, with global warming and with land pollution and sea ocean pollution, water pollution, plastics mm -hmm. pollutions, uh, carbon in the atmosphere. I guess even you could start thinking about space pollution with all of the space debris that's floating around. It can be <laughs> like daunting, you know, when waking. Can, yeah, go I ahead, share, go ahead, absolutely. can I share something real quick? Speaking of space pollution, I read this article the other day and it was super fun. It's super funny. I laughed so hard. I said the title of the article goes, when you make a wish to the shooting star, you might be... <laughs> You might be making a wish to the astronauts underwear because it's literally like they're yes. like, because yeah, because if it you actually compare the, the track yeah. and the speed of a shooting star, like of a meteor shooting through uh, the atmosphere, uh, it wouldn't look like what we think shooting stars look like. And then they're like, actually, because of, you know, because the, the astronauts in the space stations, they can't really, they, there's no they can't really take a shower. They can't really wash their clothes, you know? So they would just throw their, you know, unwanted, undesired clothing items or other items. Um, once in a while, they put it into a little ball and then the space shuttle shoots them out. <laughs> the space shuttle, the space, uh, the space, the spaceship shoots them out into the atmosphere. And most likely more often than not, if you see like a random shooting star and you're like, Oh my God, so so romantic i'm gonna make a wish that i'll be with my boyfriend forever <laughs> <laughs> well you maybe if you're like just not expecting it but i have i mean you were right but i have sat in my parents backyard when i was a kid when we lived out in the countryside briefly mm -hmm. and uh, we knew that there were going to be media showers and we were able to like yeah. watch Meteor, meteor showers, showers are different. So, and I, yeah. and I think maybe there bit, there were some underpants there, but <laughs> was a lot of it was also like, you know. Yeah. I mean, like if you just see one <laughs> shooting star, you you might not be making hey, wish to shooting stars. None of them are stars anyways in the first place. So, hey, I think that underwear gives me my my magical wish. So, you know, there's, there's hmm. that. You make whatever you want to work. But I was saying, <laughs> because there are all these different kinds of pollutions and sometimes we don't hear positive news about what is coming. I think that that, you know, there is hope that we as a species will figure it out. And, you know, this, the, the scientists among us, if they can roll out the, the right technologies and then we get, uh, you know, the right backing from people with the right money and the right connections in corporations and governments, then we could be looking at, you know, ways to fix the environment, to return it back into a more paradisaic version of the earth. I don't think we're ever going to be able to return once a one. No, probably not. Once a, <laughs> a rainforest has been destroyed, right? You can't just replant that rainforest and be like, okay, everything's all good. That's basically just a really big park that looks like a rainforest. Like so yeah, we do need to conserve the the forests that we have, like China is doing in um, many different places across the country, and like a lot of nations are doing. We need to conserve the natural environment that's already there to preserve the species and the complexity of life. But it, it does give us hope that we can at least grow more 
vegetation back and take some of the toxins and pollutions out of the environment. I really like the idea of using nature to do that instead of some sort of process. Like, you know, when you hear about water being filtered, I always think about what about the the, the materials that were used to filter the water? That and then makes, we throw that them makes away. me unhappy, you know, like, but this yeah. is just fungus. So it eats, it makes new biomatter. Yeah, Great. it's just mushrooms. OK, I don't feel as bad about that. So this is a positive story. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I love like I said, it makes us it kind of puts us in our place because a lot of times when there is a problem, we're like, oh, human beings could solve this. But if you really look at how long we have only existed in history of species, it's a, it's, it's like a blink of an eye, you know. Mm. And so, like you said, the rainforests have existed for way longer than human civilization or even life, you know, like human life on Earth. And once you once you destroy it, the decision of destroying the environment could come so easy. But the decision to bring it back is not as there's no such decision that could do that, really. So I don't think we could like, again, I always talk to people about how, you know, people talk about climate change or whatever and talking about reverse the the damage we have done mm-hmm. to Earth. And like when you say that we're making ourselves so much more important than mm-hmm. we actually mm-hmm. are, we don't get to reverse it like the Earth is going to be here whether we are here or not everything we are doing right now is like hurting ourselves Mm. more than it's hurting earth so like i when people are like i want to save the environment i'm like no let's do things to help the environment and save ourselves and just do less damage instead of attempting to reverse it later i mean i completely agree with you and i think our fans agree too because this it does make sense but i mean at the same time the places that you know okay there were some rivers in the united states and in china that were very polluted 20 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and both of these countries used a lot of new techniques to bring different kinds of plant life in and different bacterias and stuff to uh, reverse, not reverse, I guess that's not the right word, to change the new environment that they had created into an environment that resembled nature more than how Mm. it had developed. So even though a a particular river or lake or estuary in in some place in the world has been unalterably changed into, into a negative, we can't return it, right? You're right. We cannot return it to its original state. But we can make it not a disgusting river that no one can drink from. There are (laughs) rivers you can literally go let your children play in that you wouldn't be able to do that 20 years ago. Don't you miss that? Don't you miss that? Like people used to be able to just go into like if there's a pond. You don't have to ask, is this river okay? It just used to be okay. Exactly. Is this river (laughs) swimmable? Like it's it's just when when we are like making just know that every decision Mm. that is bringing any sort of convenience is probably also bringing i hate to do this inconvenient truth about (laughs) the environment you know just really don't let it because whenever you make that decision and then you're like oh i'll fix it later it's never it's just not a good process for any anything it's not just the environment anything you're doing we're like oh well i can i can do something to make it up later Mm, probably not most time if you have that thought it's probably not true
as a consumer, that can be really challenging. I, I want to give an example of myself. I like coffee. So for a long time, I was buying coffee from vendors like Starbucks and Luckin and, and so forth. And then I realized eventually, wow, this is terrible. I need to change. So I, I started buying coffee and brewing coffee at home mm. to be less problematic. And then I felt good about myself for a few weeks until I was thinking about the coffee beans come in this bag that is like on the outside, it's like some kind of plastic. And on the inside, it's some kind of metal. Mm. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so like uh, now I'm, my tra I'm transitioning to buying it in a can, like an aluminum can. So because that aluminum can, I will in all probability get recycled because the value of the metal mm. is good and it's only covered with paper. So like even when we make one decision to try to improve our personal impact on the world, it may you may still have a couple more yeah. steps to get to where it's still. I mean, even and even if I am successful and I, I switch to this metal container, that metal container in the process of being recycled is going to use an enormous yeah. amount of water and energy and resources to be recycled into a new product. So, you know, we can, tr it, it, it's gonna, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of science. It takes a lot of, uh, changes in your personal life to, to meaningfully impact, lower our footprint, each of us individually and corporations and governments. Definitely. We're not asking anyone to make a sudden 180 on your lifestyle, <laughs> but start from the little things. It's like I said, you're not, I know that it doesn't feel like you're changing the environment, but you are helping and you, at the end of the day, feel a little bit better about the citizen or the person that you are, the human being that you are. If we want to talk about macro level of things, you know, try to recycle just a little bit, even just a little bit. You don't have to do it to the, you don't have to do it to perfection. Just, just do a little bit, have that little bit of, of awareness and, you know, collectively. Recently, <laughs> we uh, this show interviewed Eric Solheim. He's the uh, undersecretary of the United Nations. Wow. And uh, 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 he former undersecretary of the United Nations and president of the Green Belt and Road Institute. And he was also he was saying, you know, what you said at the beginning of our episode. And he mentioned that essentially we need to put pressure on governments and yes. corporations to like, hey, OK, Pepsi, we don't want it like this. You need to do it some other way. I'm just using the name Pepsi. I, I don't have anything against them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do need to perform their social corporate social responsibility. So it's OK. <laughs> yeah, all, all of all of the corporations, we need to hold them to account. And, you know, I think some of the ways that we can do that are like, you know, calling them or giving them feedback or like also not buying their products when they, they make their products in a bad way so that they know, hey, our bottom line is being hit. Let's make it in a way that our consumers will not be upset with us. Yeah. And then uh, again, don't try to, when you look at mushrooms <laughs> from now on, give them a little bit more respect. You know, I do give them a lot of respect by not eating most of them. I do eat <laughs> mushrooms, but like, you know, like you, you can't just walk around picking mushrooms up and being like, I love you little buddy and eat it because it might not be a fun guy. It could be poison. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, why did I yeah. start this well, whole I was, thing? We were at the end, so I thought it would be nice to return um it's always that was a very good callback <laughs> thank you so much for joining us alex thank you to all of our fans who have stayed with us for this episode we hope to hear from you next time leave comments below and we're we're always excited to be on the show with our listeners I'd love to hear from you and it's always fun talking to you and our listeners bye-bye right, everybody <laughs>